There was a rather peculiar limerick being delivered by someone in the shuttlecraft bay. I am not sure I understand it. There was a young lady from Venus whose body was shaped like a... Captain to security, come in! Did I say something wrong? I don't understand their humor either. Live long and prosper. Don't do that. I am not a merry man. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rebels Rebels podcast, the podcast that usually explores the Star Wars expanded universe by deep dives into TVs, movies, comics, and everything else. But currently, we are embarking on a limited series where we explore the Star Trek universe. I am Peter, and I may be a dumbass, but double dumbass on him. It's Mike. Uh, Welcome. Wow. Yeah. I am so happy you get that reference. Yeah, that was a that was a that was a real highlight of that movie. <laughs> I am excited to get into this. Um, so, for those of you who are joining us, we are talking about the 1986 Star Trek movie entitled Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home. I am ready to jump into this. I have a little bit of a, I had a little bit of whipped cream left over for our Thanksgiving feast. So I'm right now enjoying a delicious coffee with whipped cream on top and feeling very fun. How are you feeling, Mike? Are you feeling ready for this? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to chat. I I just finished watching it as we, uh, minutes ago. Oh, you're still processing that. It'll probably take you a couple months or years to really understand what this movie means to you. Sure, sure. So if you are ready to jump into this, let us go into a summary. You ready for this, Mike? Yeah. The year is 2286, 78 years before the beginning beginning of Next Generation. On the planet Vulcan, Admiral James T. Kirk and his crew of middle-aged parents who are out too late on a weeknight decide to travel back to Earth on their commandeered Klingon bird of prey to face the consequences of their actions in resurrecting Spock and killing a bunch of Klingons in the last movie or something. I don't really remember it that well. On their way home, they receive a planetary distress call. An enormous S&M cylinder is traveling to Earth, broadcasting a strange signal that disables any power source within range, crippling ships in space, disabling Earth's planetary power grid and defense systems, and causing catastrophic storms. As Spock and Uhura attempt to decipher the signal, Spock realizes what the alien probe is doing. It is aiming the signal at the ocean, And when filtered through water, the signal sounds like the call of a humpback whale, a creature unfortunately hunted to extinction in the latter 21st century. The Elder Enterprise crew then takes a quick lap around the sun, revs their DeLorean to 88 miles per hour, and rockets to 1986 San Francisco for a good old-fashioned time heist. It's a movie known universally as, quote, the one with the whales? It's Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. I couldn't tell what in there was jokes and what weren't jokes. <laughs> That's kind of appropriate for this. It, it really is. I mean, right off the bat, are there any clarifying questions before we get into maybe the background of this movie or how you felt about it? Just like generally speaking, do, is there anything I can clarify for you about this movie? 
what, what was that thing you said about parents in the beginning? Oh, I was just, so I was making a joke because something oh, you may not nice. really, that was, that was a joke. So something Got you it. may not really realize about the original Star Trek is it is pretty um, ubiquitous is that there were only three seasons of it in the sixties. So it wasn't, it wasn't, I think it might be the shortest series of all the Star Trek series. And so for how big it is in our culture, it actually wasn't around that long. And I don't think it got great ratings as it lived longer and longer. People started to really appreciate it. So these movies take place in the eighties, 20 years after Star Trek was popular. So it is kind of interesting that when these movies started rolling out, you know, young, sexy Kirk is like in his mid forties and fifties, you know, there's a, there's a, you see in, in the movie, he sells his glasses and they're like, oh, wasn't that a gift for you from Dr. McCoy? Like in the second movie, it's like a plot point that he's losing his eyesight because he's aging. So they just the they just remind me of, you know, grumpy parents that are just like, oh, what time? It's nine o'clock. I usually get to bed by 830. Got it. It's yeah. so funny how jokes don't land when you don't know everything. <laughs> it's like I'm realizing that's probably what a lot of the Star Wars jokes we tell are like. I just... Yeah. They make so much sense to me, but when you don't know, you don't know. That is a totally good call. And I mean, it's, I think this is a little bit of a self-selecting audience, I think. So we're a little safer, at least in the Star Wars Trek. The last episode was very illuminating to me about being careful about what I'm picking if you are not familiar with uh, Star Trek. If you remember, this was a little bit... Uh, happenstance because this was... We, we wanted to put a little bit of a element of risk and Kate chaotic energy into this podcast so we rolled a four on our dice which may meant we had to watch this I mean, it's kind of interesting to me that this is your first real introduction to the original og enterprise crew we didn't watch an original episode yet um generally speaking do you have any feelings about this crew do you have any feelings about james kirk um how did just generally how did it hit you well i this is probably the cast i know the most just because i, I feel like for anyone disconnected from Star Star Trek culture, this is probably the cast they know. That is, is probably true. This is the one referenced the most in history. Um, so I knew them without knowing them. Mm-hmm. Um, if not like everything about their personality, like, you know, Spock, Kirk, Scotty, it, those like, I don't, yeah. So it's yeah. like, it's their part of, they're just part of culture at this point. Um, so I don't I don't have any questions or thoughts about the crew except I love Spock. I don't nice. like Kirk. Okay, fair. He's creepy. <laughs> he just embodies weird men of that time. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, as a captain, I'm just like uh, you know I I don't super. I don't know. It's yeah. just fine to me. Yeah, this might be a good time to maybe jump in. We talk about this usually at the end, but let's, let's just t- jump into the characters because I think it is really important. I love your point. It's like, you know, I'm reminded of people who are those people who are just like, oh, I've never watched Star Wars, but they know who Luke Skywalker is. They know who Han yeah. Solo is. And so it was probably a much different feeling for you to see this and be like, oh, that's Han Solo? Oh, okay. Like, that's interesting. Um, well, yeah, even though I didn't have that, I, I think... I don't think anyone see, I, I would say, I don't know if anyone ever has that like, Oh, that's who Luke Skywalker. I I think it's so deep in our culture. You know who they are and you know, some of the basic traits and tr- because at this point they're, they're, they're tropes to some degree. And they're, mm-hmm. they're kind of character, like 
not caricatures, but even the qualities of the person, I think we know, like, I think you could even say in our culture, like, oh, you're such a Luke Skywalker. And someone would know mm-hmm. what that is beyond, you know. Yeah. You're very Spock-like. Yeah, like, I yeah. think someone would get that. I think I could say that to my wife, who has never seen Star Trek, <laughs> and she would get it. Yeah. All right, let's let's start there, then. So you you liked Spock. What is it What is it about Spock that you enjoyed? Well, I just, I think I, I it's not Spock. It's, I like the Vulcan. Just the mythos? The no. overly analytical, not emotional, uh, very yeah. logical? Yeah, sure. You're just going to answer for me. There it is. Yeah. Well, just, you can expand. I was just, I just, I, I find a kinship with Spock as well in the Vulcan. Um, it is sometimes used derisively for myself that I'm a little bit Vulcan like. Um, I don't understand emotions in quite the same way that other people sometimes do. Um, so that was a character I also connected with. Um, so I just, yeah, I'd love to just hear were there any moments in the movie that stood out with you, to you or anything that you you thought was especially fun with that character because i think he really he really shines in this one yeah i i don't think there's necessarily a moment in the movie i just like as kind of an introvert and someone who's like i don't like talking about my feelings with people i don't know or kind of publicly it, it's just i'm a kind of a private person which is funny doing mm-hmm. a podcast but you like my response to a lot of things is like I'm fine because yeah. like it's genuinely how I'm just like mm, that's how that's how far I'm gonna go I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I just appreciate like the Vulcan. I wish there was a balance between the Vulcan culture of which like we have so many niceties in our culture that feel so disingenuous to me. Like you know even mm-hmm. just when you meet someone going like Hey how are you. Like, do we really care? <laughs> like, do, we, do we really want to replace that? Like, I mean, say that. Do we want to replace that with mm-hmm. something? It's just like, uh, so I just appreciate Vulcan culture for, um, you know, I can I see where it leans too far away from. But uh, yeah, I just, I love in the end, I love who Spock is in the end when he's, you know, half Vulcan, half human. It's like exactly. such a perfect person to me. Yeah. And I love, so you come into an interesting time in his character because as mentioned in the last episode and in this a couple of times that his memory was kind of erased. And so through the series of the show and then also through the first couple movies, they have a very strong relationship, Kirk and Spock and the rest of the crew. And he's learned to embrace his Vulcan side. In a lot of ways, the Vulcans are a lot like what we talk about with the Jedi. They're very, very dogmatic. And there's actually some additional canon stuff that you may be introduced to if you continue this, where there's kind of Vulcan fundamentalist. They Mm. almost get, um, they get violent and they cause terrorist attacks because, you know, Vulcans start becoming more accepting of humans. There's a famous, you're watching Discovery. The captain of Discovery is a human who was adopted by Vulcans. And so this human is being raised with Vulcan ideals and put through a Vulcan Academy. And that's just like something that these fundamentalists just can't even, they can't get behind that. And they makes them, I would say angry. They would say mm. it's logical, but I think they are fooling themselves. You know, they're not, they're being dogmatic. Spock was grown up like that. He, he felt much the same way and kind of hated his half that was human. And so we see him learn to embrace it. I love that scene in the beginning where it's, he goes, you know, he's doing the test, the logic test. And the very last question is, how do you feel? Yeah. It's like, I, mother, I don't understand this question. I, I thought that was such a great scene. Yeah. That's a cool scene. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I like it in the end, he says, tell her I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, same. Exactly. 
Um, and so you said creepy Kirk. Um, we don't have to spend a lot of time on, on Kirk, but I think I kind of agree with what you're laying down. Kirk is probably my least favorite captain of any of the enterprises. Um, even though he is so famous, they try to make him James Bond and he's just not. Yeah. I think the swab doesn't work with him. Mm, I think it also doesn't, it worked probably a lot better in the sixties. Um, then, you know, I think by the time the eighties come around, Shatner feels like he's full Shatner. If you know what I mean, he's gone kind of all the way off the deep end and that Nicholas cage way in, in a lot of ways. Um, there was a lot of behind the scenes stuff. So him and Gene Roddenberry kind of hated each other. There was a lot of drama with a lot of the cast members behind the scenes in this. And he like held out for this movie because he demanded $2 million. And he was like, I'm only going to do it. If you let me direct the next movie, he's kind of a jerk. Um, and so, you know, I think he does bring a, a charisma to this movie. I do think he brings a street smarts to this movie, which I appreciate, but I think generally speaking, it feels more out of place when it's not in the sixties. Yeah. Um, as a character, have you ever heard of the Kobayashi Maru? Yeah. So a high level, I'll, I'll make this brief for our new listeners who aren't that familiar with Star Trek. The Kobayashi Maru is kind of a really cool idea that I, I kind of love. It's part of when you go through Starfleet Academy and you're on the captains or the command track they do this test you don't know what the test is about it's a simulation where you go onto a bridge and there's an emergency and you basically need to make an impossible decision it's the trolley problem if you ever heard of that you know there's there's someone in the in the way of this trolley and you're out going out of control and you're going to kill this person if you can't stop the trolley but the only way to stop it is if you divert it off of a cliff killing yourself and other people in the trolley so it's a question do you sacrifice the person on the track or do you sacrifice yourself and the people on the trolley with you that's kind of the kobayashi maru and it's impossible to beat it so the point of the kobayashi maru test is to see how you fare in the face of an impossible decision and in the face of defeat do you recover do you keep your composure or do you just freak out and melt down? And Kirk went through this test like every other command cadet. And he got pissed that he, it was an quote unquote unwinnable test. And so he hacked the system and found a way to essentially cheat to beat the system because Kirk doesn't believe and not having a way to win. So that's kind of his whole vibe. He's the swashbuckling. And that was like a thing. He got reprimanded and kind of like demoted and went to like a Starfleet trial. But then like people were like, I'm going to keep an eye on you, kid. You're a bad boy. So he's the bad boy captain. And Mm -hmm. that is much different than what we see. There's actually some interesting behind the scenes stuff that Gene Roddenberry originally didn't want um, Sir Patrick Stewart to play Picard. Because first of all, this, which is a wild, he was like, we can't have a captain of a ship who's bald. Oh, I love that. I know. That's isn't great. that insane? Um, and then secondly, it was just, he knew that he was a much more subdued person, a thoughtful person. And even though that's in line with Star Trek's ideals, which were back in the 60s in this movie, you see some of it. It just was so different than Kirk that Gene Roddenberry had a hard time getting behind it. But I'm glad that he did in the end. So... I kind of agree. I'm not a big Kirk fan, but I do think he has some good comedic moments in this movie. Yeah, I think there's comedic moments. I think the different. I think he's kind of the Han Solo, but if you put Han Solo in charge, and I think <laughs> yeah, I think that just makes a weird character imbalance happen. And mm-hmm. so him as a a captain, it's 
I think the movies are really fun, but I think he's just, yeah, he just embodies a time. And I don't, I don't know if it's, it doesn't have, it doesn't share the same evergreen qualities that star Wars does that makes it hold up. I think next generation does. Yeah. And a lot of, I've, I've, since we've talked, watched quite a few next generation you know, I've almost watched a full season. I love that. I think that holds up and that feels timeless. Um, and has those qualities that will stand those tests. But I do not think that, um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't think that the original or these movies really do. Um, totally. And there's a moment in this movie that I actually kind of like, because it does subvert the Kirk thing a little bit. Cause that that's a trope. There's SNL skits about like how many women Kirk bed, um, because he's such a handsome bad boy and he's, you know, very, like he's, I think James Bond is a very good apt analogy is they were going for a James Bond thing. And so Jillian Taylor, Gillian Taylor, um, the character played by Catherine Hicks, the whale expert in this movie, you know, there's a little bit of a love interest there, but I do like at the end of the movie, he's kind of left high and dry. She's like, Oh no, I'm going to go do my own thing. Bye. Yeah. That's so a good one. I thought that was pretty tight. Um, well, we can hit the last couple pretty quick, but another character that I quite enjoy is Dr. McCoy, Bones McCoy, played by DeForest Kelly. Um, he's an iconic character as well, and I think he has a lot to do in this movie. How did you like Dr. McCoy? Uh, I, yeah, he is. This is going to be a stupid question. He's the doctor. Yes, he is. He um, doesn't do a ton of doctoring, except for I do love the hospital scene. The hospital stuff. Where he's just super grumpy. He's like, this is the medieval times. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, I like him. Sorry, mm-hmm. I should say. I think he's... I In the scenes we got, especially in the hospital, I thought I thought that was great. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, this is, again, the 60s. The The lack of diversity is very clear in <laughs> the mm-hmm. early, early Star Trek. But... Um, I, yeah, I think he's really fun. I think he's a fun character. Yeah, he. So his background, he's a. I forgot where he's from, but he's very kind of like, um, you know, Midwest traditional values. Kind of just like I'm a farm boy, just coming up and doing some doctoring. Um, and so the thing, and you see it a little bit. There's one part that I really liked is when I forgot exactly what they're talking about, but they're on the bridge of the Klingon bird of prey before they go back in time, and he's kind of talking to Spock, and he's just like like, don't you remember anything? Like we're friends and like kind of prodding him a little bit. And what that kind of is, is him and Spock kind of have a very like a brother's relationship in the sense that they poke and prod each other in a lot of ways. Bones just does not understand how a Spock can be so cold and so logical. It's just like, don't you have a heart, man? Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because he loves him. You know, and so he's always prodding him and just like, why are you such a jerk? I hate blah, 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 blah. But it's really because he's just like, he loves this guy. And so I liked that touching scene where he kind of starts prodding him a little bit, but then sees that he's really lost something and softens a little bit and kind of misses his friend. And so I think they have a very cool dynamic as well. Mm. Um, The characters that don't have a lot to do in this movie um, are, I'll just name all three of them real quick. And I will actually mention you did say there's a lack of diversity in the night in the um, in the '60s going into the '80s. There is some interesting diversity with Sulu, Chekhov, and Uhura. So Sulu played by George Takai, um, Chekhov played by Walter Koenig, and Uhura played by Nichelle Nichols. That is one thing that I will give Star Trek a lot of credit for. Back in the '60s, is they do have a main character who's of Japanese descent which was not 
super, super, um, was not super common back then, unless it was a very kind of stereotypical offensive kind of thing. Um, the one that I think is really interesting is Chekhov. So he's a Russian person and, you know, we're really kind of in some hostilities with, with Russia in this time. And so it is kind of interesting that he picked Pavel Chekhov, a Russian helmsman, to kind of lead the enterprise and help pilot the enterprise in a time when there was a lot of hostility with Russia, kind of go into that, that ideal that we're going to come together as one race. And even though they're our enemy now, they will be our partners in the future, which I think is kind of interesting. Mm. Um, and then Uhura, which I think is very interesting because she was, she is a very, very important figure, I think in, uh, representation in the 60s. I think a lot of people really looked up to Nichelle Nichols, not just for her role in her, but a lot of the stuff she did behind the scenes, a lot of the stuff she did in her personal life. She's a very cool person. And famously, um, even though this has been a little bit debunked because other examples have come to light before Star Trek, there was a 1968 episode of Star Trek called Plato's Stepchildren where Uhura and Captain Kirk kiss. And for many years, people claimed it was the first example of a scripted interracial kiss on United States television. So mm-hmm. it might not have actually been the first, but it did send a ton of shockwaves. And it actually is one of the reasons why the show didn't last very long as they did that. And a lot of people got really, really upset about it. And one of the things like talking about behind the scenes that I will give at least the cast credit for is that they originally were going to shoot the scene with the kiss and then a version of the scene without the kiss so that the network could later decide whether or not to air the kiss. But Shatner and Nichols deliberately flubbed every take of the shot without the kiss so that they had to use the scene where Mm. there was the interracial kiss. So that's cool. Um, I just want to shout those out because I, I will, I do want to throw them some bones for that. I do think that that is, they are, it's much different than next generation. I think, you know, they're, they're, they are kind of at the, or, you know, at the mercy of the sixties and the eighties in a lot of ways that it's not as quote unquote woke as we might like, but I do think that they did make some strides and there is some of that Star Trek ideal still going on. So after that, do you have any general thoughts about, um, Sulu, Chekhov, and Nichols. Or sorry, Sulu, Chekhov, and Uhura. How did you uh, like those characters? Like, I guess I didn't see much of them. Mm-hmm. So I think Chekhov is the one that you would see the most because he has a lot of uh, comedic lines with the nuclear vessels. Yeah. Um, I, I, things like that. He was kind of the comic relief of this. It was, I was like, is it supposed to be funny? Am I supposed to <laughs> laugh at? I'm like, I didn't know if I could laugh at. I'm like, is this, are they putting on a silly accent? Like it was, it's funny for the, it's funny for the eighties. <laughs> okay. Got I don't it. know if it would, it would fly right now. Um, okay. but yeah, there, yeah, you don't see a lot of them. And I would say that I think they're probably the least interesting of all the characters. Um, I also didn't mention Montgomery Scott, the main engineer, um, oh, love played Scott. By James Doohan. He is, I love him too. Um, I was going to ask you later on what your favorite joke is of this. Um, oh, you got you got to prep me my, for this. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you because I just kind of want to talk about it now. My favorite joke, I quote this all the time. I talk about it whenever something goes wrong with any piece of technology. I either say fracking toaster, which we used to say a lot from Battlestar Galactica, or I'd go computer, computer. And that scene where he's trying to work the computer and doesn't know how it works because he has to use a keyboard. And then he hands him the mouse and he goes, hello, computer, into the mouse. Perhaps a professor could use your computer. Please. 
Computer? Computer? Ah. Hello, computer. Just use the keyboard. The keyboard. How quaint. I love that joke. I loved it when I was a kid. I still watch it and I still laugh. I still say it. And my wife is quite annoyed when I say it a lot. Um, so I do love, I do love Scotty. He's a very silly, silly man. And he just plays it with such charm. And it's, he's a great character in my opinion. Mm. Um, do you have any, did, did you think of a favorite joke? Um, no. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I didn't write one down. Um, yeah, that's fair. I didn't prep you for that. Yeah. I guess it's funny when they say dumbass. <laughs> yep, that is pretty dumbass. I like that. That goes back to another thing about the the comic relief of Leonard Nimoy and Spock is I love the, is it time for some of that colorful language? The Him trying to just logically parse the swearing of the time. Yeah. I, I did like when Kirk re- says he had too much LDS. <laughs> that was really funny too. I, think that, I, th- I thought that was good. Cool. Um, so do you have any other thoughts about any of the characters before we just actually talk about this movie? No, let's jump into it. Cool. So um, some background in this movie. This movie is actually the most for a long time. This was the most successful of all Star Trek films hmm. before the new ones, the, the ones that came out in 2009. So out of all the OG Star Trek films, including all the next generation ones, this is the most successful one in the box office. Although they re- when they released it overseas, they actually renamed it just The Voyage Home. And then they kind of tried to hide Star Trek IV on the poster because I guess internationally that Star Trek wasn't that cool. And so they were kind of like, oh, it's not really a Star Trek film. Let's go. And that's how they did it overseas, which I thought was kind of pretty interesting. Uh, weird. Yeah, it is pretty weird. Um, so this was directed by Leonard Nimoy. Um, I saw that. Which was that kind of cool, too. Yeah. So it was actually his idea to have a lighter tone and no direct bad guy um, in this movie. This is, a, this is famously, a lot of people say this is the only Star Trek movie where no one dies. We actually only see a phaser or anything get shot, I think, twice. Like once when... Kirk melts the melts the lock on the in the hospital, and then I think Chekhov like I don't know shoots it to open a door or something like that at one point. But yeah, there's no villain. There's nothing other than trying to preserve nature, you know. Mm. And so that was kind of his contribution to this. He quoted, he said, "I wanted to have some fun here. We intentionally said right from the beginning we want a lighter tone than the previous films." kind of a cool thing about Star Trek is they have a long history of allowing their stars to become directors. They kind of put them through a boot camp if anyone's interested and being like, all right, you want to be a director? You want to work behind the scenes? We will teach you how to do that. Then we will let you work on the series that you are on and maybe even direct more. So famously, Jonathan Frakes, who plays Will Riker, is probably regarded as one of the best Star Trek directors. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up doing a ton of stuff and he, he ended up You'll see as you go through Discovery, he directs a lot of Discovery. He also directed one of my favorite movies, Star Trek First Contact. Um, And also, LeVar Burton is actually an incredible Star Trek director, too. Uh Whenever a LeVar Burton episode comes on, I'm really stoked because I think he does an awesome job as well. So that's some cool behind-the-scenes stuff of this movie. Um, 
as we mentioned, generally the plot is a time travel plot. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I think this is, this is kind of fun to show you is this is something that Star Trek plays in quite a bit. There's a lot of star, there's a lot of time travel. This is the first time I think I remember going specifically to 1980 San Francisco, but we have visited San Francisco in the past quite a bit. So let me just ask you, how did you like the setting? How, one of the reasons I also liked picking this is because we are both Bay area people and you currently live a couple miles away from the Monterey Bay aquarium where this was filmed. So how did you like just the premise of this movie, the time travel and kind of the quirkiness of being in quote unquote present day and also seeing familiar sights to us. Yeah. I thought that was fun. Um, you know, I have, I have nits to pick. It's so funny that you, <laughs> you want to be anytime you're from somewhere, you're like, that's not what that's like. Yeah, totally. Um, I do. Like, Sausalito's not next to Monterey. Yeah, I know, right? That's that was funny to me. It's like, oh, the the aquarium's in Sausalito, and I'm like, there's no aquarium in Sausalito. And there's never there's never been a whale at the aquarium. Yeah, totally, Stuff totally. Like and it's it's funny too because you see drone shots of where the whale is supposed yeah. to be kept, and you we we know exactly where that is. We have stood right in that spot, and you can tell that they use some digital trickery to kind of yeah. add a whole whale appendage to the aquarium. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's fun. The setting's fun. That was probably the most fun part of the, the movie. And it was a, you know, I haven't even really talked about it at high level. Like it was a fun movie kind of, it was yeah. just silly. Um, like, ah, that's good. I'll never watch it again. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was fun. It was, it was a, it definitely was entertaining. Kept me in, it kept me engaged. And it's, it was, it's kind of a bucket list movie as well. Yeah. Like, Totally. Almost purely because of the setting, to be honest. Like, I, I don't know what it is that weird. I don't know what that weird thing is that we all have with like loving to watch movies or TV shows, <laughs> so we can be like, that's 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 where I live. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, yeah. There's a there's a scene when they first get to San Francisco, and there's a there's a cafe with a yellow sign. I forgot what it's called. Um, and you can see the Trans America building, I think it's called, like that big pyramid building in San Francisco. And I know exactly where that is. I think that I think that cafe is still there, and there's a bar that I like quite a bit that's nearby. And so um that yeah, it's just that total endorphin hit of just like, oh, I know that. That's fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's uh I mean, I'd be interested. This is a little bit unfair to you, and I feel a little bad about it, especially making you watch a movie, because it is kind of homework. Um yeah. You know, I've I've mentioned I have a very nostalgic. This was a movie I watched a lot when I was a kid and I thought it was great. This is a very Spaceballs movie to me, which we've talked about. You know, I watched Spaceballs a million times. I watched this movie a million times. So I just have very fond memories of it, regardless of if it's a good movie or a bad movie. I will argue that I do think it is a good movie. It has a decent, it has a good Rotten Tomatoes score, for example. Critically, people liked it a lot. And I think there's a lot here to like as a movie. Um but, you know, I think it probably shades it a little differently when you're watching it as homework. Yeah. Do you know what? I think that's been, <clears throat> I think that's my biggest takeaway actually from this whole thing we're doing, this mini series mm-hmm. we're doing is I don't know that I'm enjoying Star Trek as much as I could enjoy Star Trek if I would watch it of my own volition in free time. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, fair. like, I'm, I, it's, it's interesting. I, life got really busy for me when I had a kid and just a lot happened. My, you know, a new job, like so much hap- has happened since this podcast. Uh, I were free when we started this podcast and my free time was abundant. <laughs> I was, <laughs> this would have been a project that was interesting. Now when free time is so limited, it's been interesting to why star Wars, I can still talk about is I'm going to watch star Wars regardless. Mm-hmm. I'm going to watch 
everything they put out and maybe even read most of it regardless because I'm so invested and passionate about the lore and I just want to see where it's going. And I don't have that for Star Trek. I'm, I'll probably try to catch up to Discovery and then slowly get through new, Next Generation. I'm guessing that's going to take five years. I'm not even yeah. exaggerating. But uh, yeah, so when totally. you're, I'm viewing any of this under the lens of what we're doing, it's, it's, I'm, it almost feels unfair because I don't, I don't, I don't know that I, w- I could like it as much because it's taking away from Star Wars for me mm-hmm. or other things. Yeah, that's totally fair, and I think that's a good, that's a good caveat to call out and something to be aware of because you know, to be quite honest, you and I are in much different places in our life. Um, you know, we we decided not to, not to be childbearing, um, at least for now, and so. You know, when you say, oh, I'll never watch this again, part of me kind of goes, oh, um, because, you know, this is a movie, even if it wasn't nostalgic, you know, this is a movie that if my wife and I are feeling kind of just, you know, we want to get silly. Um, if you are one who lives in a, a legal area for some adult uh, death sticks or some adult death stick juice um, and want to get you know, a little silly or have a couple drinks and just get out of your mind and relax at the end of the day with something that'll make you giggle and laugh. This is a perfect stoned movie. Um, but you know, that calculus changes a lot when you have a kid. Um, yeah, I know. It was so funny when you texted me, you're like, Oh man, you, when, you know, you know, get, get stoned to watch this movie. I'm just not going to try to hide it. Um, it's it's like, I was like, yeah, that sounds incredible. Mm Mm-hmm. I was like, are you going to come over and babysit <laughs> like, <Yeah>. <laughs> while <laughs> totally. I do that? Because that sounds awesome. Um, because it does. And I'm like, and not like, I, I don't think that would have made the movie better. Because again, I really like the movie. I, yeah. I, I would rate it pretty high. And when I say I'm not going to watch it again, it's just because I don't think it has the nostalgia factor for me. Mm-hmm. But if someone asks me about this movie, I'll, I'll have positive things to say because there are some timeless elements of the movie um and i like the i like the atmosphere of the movie um kind of right when they got to san francisco i started having fun to be honest that's when it really kicked off and the whole charade of them trying to get the doctor and giving them the whale Mm -hmm. and spock being goofy Mm -hmm. i mean it was fun it was so i enjoy it it's just um yeah it doesn't i the movies i think about that are like my forever silly movies that I'm like, Oh my God, you have to watch this that I'm realizing other people don't like cause they didn't watch it. Or it shocks me that people don't love <laughs> princess bride. I'm like, you don't yeah. love oh, the princess bride. Love oh my God. That's and horrible. Like, yeah. And there are people I've talked to there and they're like who they just didn't watch it. And I'm like, no, no, no. But it's, it's more than like nostalgia. It's incredible. And I feel like that is kind of this movie to some degree. And I'm kind of understanding now. I'm like, yeah, it was really mm-hmm. good. But like on a, a a day off, I'm going to go to Princess Bride, probably. Um, so yeah. just yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. And so I think I love that we're having this conversation because I think that's a very important thing to call out about that. This is, you know, you have to take that into account when you're in different places in in your life. Also, I think what you're saying about what you anticipate your Star Trek diet being is pretty typical, and I think that's good. You know, I don't think there's no part of me that's like, what do you mean you're going to slowly t- watch it over five years? What I mean, you got to you got to get all this content in. I think Star Trek is a very much more chill thing like that, which is kind of cool. You know, I, this 
my love for it was reignited over the pandemic because my wife and I were just like, what can we consume thousands of episodes of that yeah. just kind of turn our brain off at night? And honestly, like it's become a thing almost like we use the Calm app for sleep meditations to kind of help us go to sleep. And Star Trek has almost supplanted that where it's like 10 o'clock and we're like, all right, we got to start winding down for bed. Let's put on some Star Trek and we'll go, up, we'll go upstairs and we have a TV next to a bed, which people say you shouldn't do, but screw them. Yeah. And yeah, screw like, that. <laughs> we'll, we'll cuddle in bed and like my wife will fall asleep or I'll fall asleep, mostly my wife, but I will fall asleep a lot too to like, half of these episodes I'll turn over and she's, she's snoozing before the episode's over. And like, that's kind of the point. Like it just puts us in a good mood, something to decompress at the end of the night. And you know, it's going to take us five, 10 years to get through the, all the series. And I think that's actually a good vibe to take into this. So I'm glad you called that out. Yeah. It's, it's a great show to do that with. I think that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I want to call out talking about the plot of this movie is there's a very infamous, uh, almost a meme before memes were a thing for this movie, and that's the punk on the bus. Do you have any thoughts about the scene with the punk on the bus? Oh, I just I think it's so good. I know it feels so, so funny. What's funny is it feels very San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. So this ironically. Um, There's two different stories about this, but I'll go with the Nimoy one because it's more fun. That Leonard Nimoy said that the comedic moment of the punk on the bus was him actually living out a personal fantasy following a similar interaction in his real life. He said he was walking on Columbus Avenue in New York one day and suddenly was hit by a wall of noisy music. And then he said he discovered the source was a man who just walked by, by him with a gigantic boombox. And I thought, if I was Spock right now, I'd pinch his brains out. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Which is really funny. Um, but the the kind of the fun behind the scenes thing about that is, yeah, this is kind of an iconic scene. It does feel very San Francisco, which is fun. The other thing I'm just, this is, I'm, I'm going down another path is I love that Kirk is dressed kind of in his pajamas and his space pajamas the whole time. And Spock is wearing a bathrobe the whole time and no one bats an eye. It's like, Oh yeah, it's San Francisco. It's yeah, like, yeah. Like you, you go down to golden gate park. Right, you go to the hate. Yeah. yeah. It's like, if I saw a guy walking around in his bathrobe, I wouldn't even think twice no. about it. So that just seemed perfect no, to me. It was, it was totally fine. Yep. And so back to the punk on the bus, one of the interesting things is that that character was played, the punk was played by Kirk Thatcher, who was actually Leonard Nimoy's real life assistant. Um, And it was, he ended up having an interesting role because Leonard Nimoy was already hired, hired him as an assistant. So he kind of just had him do a ton of stuff on the movie. Um, Just everything so much stuff that he actually got a credit as an associate producer for this and it kind of launched his movie career um and so he went on to be a writer and director for projects at the jim henson company Wow! he also ended up yeah he ended up being uh i think he's like a set designer and a special effects guy now and he's really well respected um he he recently worked on i don't know if he maybe he directed the um, this year's Muppet Haunted Mansion on Disney Plus. Oh, um, nice. And so he, he ended up having a really cool career and he's very respected in his field. Also, I'll say that the song playing on the boombox, he wrote that song and recorded oh, hell yeah. it, which I think is so sick. <laughs> that dude is tight. That's great. Um, and then I know you're also not as big of a Marvel fan from as I am, but I'm a big Marvel fan. But there's a fun little Easter egg that 
in the Marvel Cinematic U- Universe in Spider-Man Homecoming, there's a scene where Spider-Man is just like going through the neighborhood, doing Spider-Man things, meeting the neighbors. It's there's that scene. It's it's that scene where the guy's like, do a backflip. And he just like does a backflip uh, to yeah. a random guy. There is a guy standing in the background with a giant boombox listening to music. And that is Kirk Thatcher. They asked oh, wow. him to go in there as an Easter egg because they just love this punk on a bus scene. I love that. That's great. I know. Yep, that, yeah. that is great. Um, and I'm trying to think if there's anything else really. I mean, I don't know if there's anything like that serious plot-wise to talk about um, in the story. I mean, I like that it has an environmental message. I think that is very important, and I do think we need to save the whales. They are beautiful creatures. Save the whales. How are the whales doing? Currently? Yeah, like uh, how are the whales? I don't know. I don't if you know, know how the whales are doing. Let us know. I mean, the last thing I really remember is like the the Sea Shepherd. Oh yeah, I remember, remember the that that TV yep. show where they would go and do yeah. stuff, and I think they ended up being problematic and kind of weird. Huh. Um, but I did think that this was a very funny. You know, I joked about it in the beginning that it's colloquially been known as oh the whale one, but that's yeah. literally anyone who has any sort of passing familiarity with Star Trek at all. You'd be like, oh, yeah, Star Trek 3, and they'll be like, oh, is that the whale one? No, 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 the whale one's 4. Like, people know this is the movie with the whales. Um, and so a little behind the scenes of that, like I said, there was some CGI done at the Monterey Bay Aquarium because they never had any whales. Um, and most of the whales were animatronic. So that, and I thought they looked pretty good. There's some scenes where you can tell that it was stock footage, but they tried to actually film with the whales, and they tried to get a lot of scenes before they shot that they kind of could just put in a stock footage and it just didn't look that good and didn't work. So they ended up making these giant whale animatronics. And for 1986, I feel like they pulled it yeah, off really I think, well. Yeah. I was, are all of them n- nothing as whale? I mean, I think there's obviously like a couple stock, like there, I think there's a scene, there's some scenes when they're in open ocean that were just probably just like, I bet they, I doubt that they filmed some whales like on their own. They probably just like bought whale footage generally and the, i do yeah. remember probably some scenes in the aquarium where the you, it should be like glass looking into the aquarium and you could tell it's like a tv screen yeah playing some some stock footage of whales but yeah anytime they're up close with a whale anytime they need to interact with a whale they did it was all animatronics and i think that it's, it's fairly seamless i think this movie looks really great for I, its time yeah i think it's, it's shockingly good yeah, totally, especially compared to, you know, some of the low-budget stuff that we usually see in Star Trek. Yeah, it was one of the first things I actually noticed in this movie. I was like, wow, that looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. Yeah. Um, and then I have one other behind-the-scenes thing that I thought was pretty interesting, and we can talk a little bit about this character, Jillian or Gillian Taylor, um, if you want to talk about her a little bit, because I would like to know your thoughts. She is not an ongoing concern in Star Trek, the expert, this uh kind of the quote-unquote love interest in the movie, she she doesn't show up in anything else. So this is kind of the only time we see her. Um, but originally, the Doctor, who is now played by an attractive young woman, was originally conceived as an eccentric like professor or scientist that believed in UFOs. And mm. it was like he was kind of just like a quirky quirky madman kind of guy. And the interesting thing was he was actually originally going to be played by Eddie Murphy, because Eddie Murphy is a big Star Trek fan and Eddie Murphy lobbied to be in this movie. He was like, I want to be in this movie. I want to be in this movie. And they actually wrote the part for him and 
they hired him, but then he quit to make a movie called The Golden Child, which is a huge flop. So yeah, I've never heard of it. I know. So he kind of uh, kind of made a bad choice there, buddy. But I thought I think that would have been kind of a interesting take on this instead of kind of the the sassy young lady have Eddie Murphy in that role. Um, and I mean, 86, he was a big star for that time. Yeah, too. he was big. I mean, Eddie Murphy's not much bigger in that time. Totally. Um, but talking about, uh, Dr. Hicks or Dr. Taylor, sorry, played by Catherine Hicks. How did, how did you like that character? Is she kind of plays, I think her intention is that she's kind of the analog of the, she's supposed to be us and this, you know, we're, we don't know all this space stuff. What's going on here. We're a fish out of water, even though it's our time. Yeah, she's cheesy, but it's fine. Like I don't want more of her. But I'm like, yeah, yeah she works. She totally. works as like the avatar for my confusion. Yeah, and you know what I like about it is I think, especially for the '80s, I appreciate that she wasn't writ. Like she wasn't written dumb or ditzy. You know, like she obviously yeah. like it's a very '80s performance. Like she kind of yeah. wears her heart. She's like, oh, if you bozos are gonna do this macho stuff, then I'm really ticked about that. Like yeah. it's very '80s, I love you that. know. Um, but I did, you know, she's not a dummy and I do like that. It's like, she still wants to help these people. I think in, in the beginning when she sees them, she's like, oh, they're obviously crazy. Like, let's buy them a hot meal and yeah. make sure they're okay. Like she seems like a good person. And then when she gets desperate about these whales and she doesn't know where else to turn, she goes and she ends up finding the spaceship. And it's not like, she's just like her mind's blown and she like has goes comatose. She's like, this is crazy. Oh, you were, uh, okay, we'll deal with that later. Like, and she just kind of figures it out and goes along with it. And I think like, she's a capable person with some agency, which I kind of like in this. Um, I, I think she's a pretty cool character. Yeah. One thing I think is funny is the fact that she just like comes with them to the future, which, uh, I talked about time travel. There's like all these temporal laws that you're not allowed to break. Yeah. They sure seem to break. They, they sure seem to do a lot of things. They give that yeah. guy the plexiglass. Like, I know. Right. I was like, okay. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, Star Trek always kind of like plays fast and loose with that. But yeah, they're messing with the timeline all over the place in Star Trek. It's pretty funny. Um, and I also like that it's like, can you imagine being an expert in her field? Like she's probably one of the top like whale doctors in the entire world. And then she gets transported 300 years in the future where like, I don't know, probably children know more about her field than she does. Yeah, like they, 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 they learn in elementary school, her PhD, her PhD doctrine or thesis. Um, and so I, I, I like to imagine what she's doing today and if she even could get a job. Well, uh, apparently she knows more than everyone else because she's on a research vessel. Yeah, that is true. And I guess, I mean, if you, if you live in a world where whales never existed, it's probably handy to have one person who knows more about yeah. whales. So that is, that is a good point. Um, but I just want to call out that I, I liked her as well. Um, any other notes about this movie? Um, generally speaking, you said you liked it. I'm yeah. sensing you are, you're not a, this, this hasn't ignited a spark to want to go back and see some classic Star Trek and no. this crew. If anything, this has strengthened my resolve of like, yeah, that's just the crew is mm-hmm. who I think they are. Um, and that's fine. Um, I think Next Generation is still the more interesting crew to me right now. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably just stick with them. Yeah, that makes a lot. It's kind of that simple. Sense. So let me ask you Do you like, I just want to get you on the record. Get me on the record. Do you like Star Trek yet? 
I just want to check in. This is this is the check in. How is your general Star Trek feelings? It's interesting because it's like I like Star Trek, and I've I've this has given me a good sampling, and I'm getting more mm-hmm. and more. But I, it's still not creeping into my leisure time, mm-hmm. and I to me that may be the sign to some degree of it. I'm kind of. Uh, that said, I have I have watched a considerable amount, so maybe maybe I do like Star Trek. Great, it's yeah, it's, so, it's kind of a half answer. No, I like, that's all right. I like it, and I think we have had some good conversations about this, and I think that we are giving people a good primer, which I think is a good a good place to be for our podcast. So before we close this out, we need to roll the dice of doom. Okay. Oh no. So this is, we, we talked about this and maybe just to let uh, the listeners know, I think maybe two more episodes we're going to do on this. Okay, Again, okay. this is a limited episode or limited series. So we're not going to do a ton, ton of these. Um, and we are just going to kind of bridge some time before book of Boba Fett comes out and we will be covering that as it comes out. Um, so, in the last two episodes, we are rolling a D&D dice. If you've been a long-time listener, we, we would play some bonus D&D on this. And, you know, my dice just kind of need a warm-up. Uh, I've been really missing rolling those. So uh-huh. I'm kind of, uh, this is an homage to The Greatest Generation, my favorite Star Trek podcast. They do a board game where if they land on certain spots, they have to do crazy things while they record. This is a less hardcore version of it. So... If I roll a one, then I am going to make you watch a bad episode of Star Trek because there are very bad episodes. Oh, and wait. that is just going to be, that's going to be very interesting. And then I'll see if our friendship can, can survive that. If I roll a 20, I, I owe you a steak dinner. Ooh, and then think. if I roll a four, that is how we watched this one is a four was that you had to watch this. If I roll a four, you have to watch this movie again. I think oh. that's just, that's <laughs> the rule. All right. <laughs> All right, so I am going to roll. See if anything crazy comes up. Oh, it went off the table. I have to re-roll. I got an 11. Okay, Mike, you are safe. We are watching a regular episode of Star Trek. Regular. So we have two episodes left. I am getting the sense, and I don't need you to confirm or deny this. Okay. That I think... Star Trek has been lodged in your brain to the extent that it will at this point. So my goal at this point is one, to expose you to other series, just give you a little, you know, dip your toes in for some of the ones we haven't visited yet and just kind of show you and the listeners some of the things that are out there in Star Trek. So I think I'm not going to go with another Next Generation episode. Okay. Maybe Deep Space Nine because the last one wasn't that, that, uh, successful but i'll have to think about that more and the other thing is i think there might be i was going back and forth between two episodes one of them is a little bit more just generic star trek they find a strange new world and a strange planet where something weird's going on and they have to use science and stuff to figure it out but there's one that is just calling to me and i just really really want to watch it with you and it is Star Trek Voyager season five, episode twelve, and the episode is called Bride of Chaotica. Okay. So I am choosing this because one, I want to dive into Voyager with you. And I think this will be really interesting because I haven't watched Voyager since I've been a kid. This is yeah. the series 
Yeah, Other right. than Enterprise, which I don't think we're going to talk about at all, there is a prequel series called Enterprise that some people really like, and I will definitely check out on my own time. We're not going to watch any Enterprise, but Voyager is probably the one I know the least about. So in a lot uh, of ways, I think you and I are going to be discovering this one together. I love um, Voyager. Yeah, and I know you watched it when you were young too, and so we're going to be revisiting this. And the Bride of Chaotica is a holodeck episode. So that is why why mm-hmm. I am showing you this because, the, like I said, there are lots of different types of episodes of Star Trek that they revisit often, and holodeck is one of them. The holodeck is kind of, if you think about it too much, a very insane thing that um, there are holograms that can be made into actual matter. So... It's used for training purposes, for sports. You know, you can g- literally go in and anything you program can be made in the holodeck. So I could say, I want to play in the NBA, the 1996 NBA finals with Michael Jordan. And it would make a recreation of that. And I would be on the Chicago Bulls playing with Michael Jordan, right? Nice. But the thing that happens pretty much every single time anyone ever uses the holodeck is something goes wrong and it ends up trying to kill everyone on board. So it's really weird that they just keep letting people use the holodeck and that is one of these episodes. So it is a holodeck episode where something wonky happens um, and it is inspired by B-movies and Flash Gordon, which is kind of an interesting vibe. Um, we see there's a lot of Next Generation ones. Picard is very into this... Uh, called Dixon Hill program where he's like an old timey forties detective in San Francisco. It's like, see you here. Here's my Tommy gun. And so there's a couple episodes where we see like that era. We see some medieval stuff, some Robin hood stuff. We see, um, we see a lot of weird stuff, but this is the first time I've seen kind of like this pulpy, Flash Gordon-esque B-movie monster mash kind of thing. So it's kind of a very cool vibe, and it is your first official introduction to a holodeck episode. So, again, that is Star Trek Voyager Episode 5, or Season 5, Episode 12, Bride of Chaotica. So that will be the next episode we check out, and I'm excited to honestly explore this one with you. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Um, and then before we go out, I just wanted to shout out a couple things. Um, I mentioned earlier my favorite Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Generation. They were kind enough to run an advertisement for us on their premiere of season four of Star Trek Discovery. So if you are into Star Trek Discovery and are following along, check out that podcast because they run a little ad for Rebels Rebels, which was very kind, and we've already gotten a couple listeners from that. So if you're joining us from Greatest Generation, thank you, and let us know what you think, and I hope you stick around. Um, Also, I was on the Storytime with Clizare podcast. Uh, It's a a really fun story podcast that's that's on YouTube, so you can search for Storytime with Clizare with Peter F.A., and I tell uh, very... I almost told the story about when you and I I uh, lived together and I blacked out on sleeping pills and did a bunch of crazy stuff that freaked you out, but I figured there's enough blackout stories. Mm. Um, so I ended up telling the story about how at work one time I made a John I made a joke for, that I saw on John Oliver and that joke got leaked to Breitbart and I got doxxed and got embroiled in an international controversy. So it's a very wow. crazy story um, that I told on this podcast. So you can search for Storytime with Clizair. 
So wow. it's like Claire with an extra S. Um, and I posted it on our Instagram and Twitter if you want to link to that. So check that out. I thought that was Love pretty it. fun. And thank you, Claire, for having me on. Do you want to tell people where they can find us? Yeah, Rebels Rebels Pod at Gmail, Instagram, and Twitter. Hit us up any of those places if you want to chat with us. Awesome. And I will say again, double dumbass on you. Oh, fuzzball. <laughs> You're going to be hearing that a lot more, Mike. I love it. <laughs>